of the Lord. We love your word. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we praise you tonight. The Bible says you watch over your word to perform it. And heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And Lord, we love your word. And we honor the word tonight. And we ask you that you would anoint me and speak through me your words of life. And Lord, this would be as living seeds of truth sown out in the good soil. Even now, people that are hearing this are good, fertile soil for the word. That you would prepare their hearts and minds. And let this go out. Like Jesus talked about the parable of the seed in the sower. This will go out as seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let there be the washing of the water of the word. Let there be, uh, your word be like a hammer that breaks through strongholds of deception. A light that shines and pierces the darkness and drives away the darkness. And Lord, let your word go as a double-edged sword that it's going to get where it needs to go. Let the winds of your spirit carry this word. Let your mighty angels watch over it. And Lord, we stand on the promise the word of the Lord will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. <coughs> so Lord, we pray tonight that this will go out. And Lord, that you will watch over it. We bind the enemy in any way that would try to hinder this word in the name of Jesus. Right now, we break his power. Command to back off. And Lord, we thank you this being powerful and effective and that you speak through me everything that needs to be spoken. We thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering this prayer together as we agree. We believe we receive it, and we expect it now in Jesus' name. All right, so I'm going to deal with uh, Doctrines of Demons Part 2. I'm going to talk about the church. This isn't really the longest sermon, but um, I want to cover four things. I want to talk about the church versus secular government. I want to talk about man's politics versus the kingdom of God. And I want to talk a little bit about worldliness in the church. And then I want to talk about personal relationships. The thing is, we've got to be really careful because, you know, as I talked about last week, the enemy tries to bring a lot of deception and a lot of mixture. And that's why it's so important that we have a love for the truth and we have a love for the Word of God. And we really study the Word. The Bible says to study the Word to show yourself approved. And we know that the Word of God is the source for all truth. And so I think everybody knows this, but maybe I should say it in this series, but we've got to make sure that everything is always going to line up with the Word. So if somebody has a prophetic experience or whatever, it has to line up with the Word. If it's something contrary to the Word, then it has to be discarded. Okay? And that's why some people have, have produced very powerful, long-lasting cults. Um, one of them being Mormonism. Um, remember, was it Jonathan, whatever his name was, uh, Joseph Smith. He had a vision or whatever, and, you know, all of this came from some kind of supposed supernatural experience that he had, some kind of an angelic thing, but it did not line up with the word. And Muhammad, same thing. He had some encounter with some angel supposedly in a cave, and out of that came Islam. So everything has to come in agreement and alignment with the Word of God, okay? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple things tonight. Number one, let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. What are they for? The equipping of the saints. For the works of service 
to build up the body of Christ until we all attain, look at this, unity in the faith. Well, that's going to take a miracle. But we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, look at this, we are no longer to be children. God wants us to get off milk and onto the meat of the word and to grow up and be discerning, okay? We're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. See, there's a lot of passing fads. There's a lot of things you'll see come through the body of Christ. You know, this will be popular. This will come up. That will come up. But you can't be swayed so much by every little wind of thing that, you know, blows through or whatever. You've got to be established in what you know to be the truth. Established in the word. And it says, not carried around by every wind of doctrine or by trickery of men. See, there is trickery of men out there. Craftiness, deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into all aspects in him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplying according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. So... My point in this aspect is dealing with God's government here. Um, a couple things I want to share in this category. But God has his fivefold ministry. And in this series, I feel like God's wanting me to deal with some of these things. But the fivefold ministry is actually God's government. And the church is a spiritual kingdom. Which I'm going to get to that in the next point. But I want you to see here that God does not change. See, there's a lot of things out there, and I've seen this for many years, that let's take just one example. There'll be somebody in a particular fellowship, or you could say denomination or group of people, whatever. And, you know, they, they have a voting system. He's voted into a position to where he's maybe overseeing some churches or whatever. And so now they're saying, well, you know, he has an apostolic role. But you cannot be voted by man to be an apostle. See, there's a lot of problems with the way things are, unfortunately. And when the pressure and the weight of these last days is pressing down on the church, things that are not of the Lord are going to die spiritually and struggle. It's only going to be those that are really lined up with the word of God and have a fresh anointing that are really going to rise up and do something for God because the pressure of these times. So, anyway, I wanted to share about that, and I want you to see Mark 3, 14. Jesus had went and prayed all night, and he appointed. There's a group of people there, and he came out, and he called the 12 out of that group, and he appointed 12 that they should be with him and that he could send them out. But I want you to notice that Jesus appointed them. Now, let me show you something. So Jesus goes and he prays all night. He heard from the Father. He comes out to a group of people. Now, you think that, do you think that this would have ever happened? Jesus says, well, guys, there's about 500 of you out here. I prayed all night, and I feel like God spoke to me. About 12 of you It's supposed to be with, with me. Um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pass out a bunch of ballots. Uh, make sure that you have your little golf pencil. Okay, that's very important. 
And now what I want you to do, because there may be some people that you think would be a better fit for this, is I want you to put their name. And we're going to go with the majority vote, okay? Regardless, I, I feel like I heard from the Father, but we're going to go with what you want. Do you really think Jesus would ever do that? Can you imagine the catastrophe that would have unfolded if Jesus let all those people pick who was going to be his 12? So Jesus appoints. And see, I think that we live in a society here in America that, you know, we're a democracy, so there's a voting in our society for political figures. And that politics has crept into the church. And unfortunately, a lot of times, there's a lot of politics of men that get in the way of kingdom authority. All right. And also, let me talk about a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said in John 18, 36, that my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And then Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against what? Rulers, powers, wicked forces of darkness, spiritual forces of weakness in heavenly places. So principalities and powers, wickedness in the heavenlies. So let me share this as well. The Lord has appointed his five-fold ministry. And right now, there's kind of a blur with some groups. So just to make this real clear, America is a secular kingdom. And the church is a spiritual kingdom. They're not the same thing. So you could never say that just because somebody got voted into something like a presidency or whatever that they were an apostle. You see what I'm saying? All right, but there, there's a blur there with some people, and it's very bizarre. And history has shown that, that this has created a lot of problems. So the church is a spiritual kingdom fighting spiritual battles and there's a fivefold ministry over this spiritual kingdom. And I thank God because the way things were, I believe that America was going down a spiral under Obama's administration that was very negative. And we, you know, the church was praying, we were praying, and people were crying out to God. And I really believe that God intervened. I believe that if Hillary Clinton would have won, that she would have continued what Obama was doing. And it would have kept going down, down, down. But God intervened and elected some people that are favorable toward Christianity. They hold the office of secular statesmen in a secular kingdom. But I am so thankful that they profess Christianity and that they honor God and they honor his word. And um, I, I love President Trump for many things. And I'm very thankful for his attitude toward the church. He, you can tell he loves evangelicals. And I know that uh, Vice President Mike Pence has always been a very outspoken Christian. I thank God for that. And our governor in Texas, Greg Abbott, has always been a very outspoken critic. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, an outspoken Christian. And would post things on Facebook, you know, about scripture or whatever. And they've just always been that way. So I'm very thankful for that. But you got to understand, that is a response to our prayers that God put Christians in secular offices 
and it's made things favorable for the church but that doesn't mean that America has become the church so keep that line of demarcation between secular kingdoms and the spiritual kingdom of the church now when Jesus comes the Bible says he's coming to rule and reign for a thousand years when he comes and his feet touch the Mount of Olives the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world okay the secular kingdoms will become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ he will come and he will take over forcefully with a rod of iron and woe to those that are against him he's going to separate the sheep and goat nations and cast the goat nations into hell and he's coming to rule and reign but as we stand right now we're in this dispensation of the church and we're not fighting flesh and blood we're not fighting with weapons of guns and knives we're fighting a spiritual battle that has to do with forces of darkness over regions what's the battle for the souls of men and women it is a spiritual battle now I'm concerned because down through history both Islam and Roman Catholicism have tried to make something spiritual you know into a secular government like for example Islam with Sharia law but Roman Catholicism did the same thing they took over you know and they began to rule from a secular office it was very oppressive and God has not called the church to try to take over kingdoms like that he Jesus is going to do that when he comes back is this making sense tonight because there's some that that have taught and this is you know their eschatology in time studies is way off but they believe that the church is going to gradually take over the world and take over governments and as they do that it's going to usher in this era of Christianity that Jesus is just going to come into. But that is the exact opposite of what's actually going to happen. The Bible says that the governments of the world are going to come under the alignment of the Antichrist. And they're going to persecute Christians and Jews. So it's the exact opposite of that. But when Jesus comes, he's going to take over and fix all that. But right now, we need to be concerned with soul winning and seeing revival and the powers of darkness broken in territory and advance the kingdom of God. But it is a spiritual battle and it is a spiritual kingdom. And it's waged with spiritual weapons of war. All right. So what is the church here to do? The purpose of the church this would some people might find this interesting but Matthew 21 13 says it is written and Jesus said to them my house will be called a house of prayer you know that Jesus put the emphasis on prayer in the church see the true church is supposed to be a gathering of believers I love that somebody would bring a lost person in to get saved but it's not a gathering of a bunch of lost people week after week if that's going on that's weird why aren't they getting saved and if they're not going to then why do they keep coming you see what I'm saying something's off about that but my house will be called a house of prayer and then what is Matthew 28 19 therefore Jesus said go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit so the purpose of the church as a spiritual kingdom with a fivefold ministry 
is that we are fighting spiritual battles for the souls of men and women with spiritual weapons of war and the emphasis in the church world should be on prayer as we gather together because it's only going to be by prayer that these things are able to happen and as we go outside the four walls we're supposed to have a heart for winning the lost and making disciples of the nations that's what we're supposed to be doing but sadly I think many times the last thing people are doing is praying and the last thing they're doing is getting outside the four walls and witnessing and we're not doing many times what we're supposed to be doing and what we're put here for that's why it's so important to go back to the word of God and study this thing out the sad thing is I think that a lot of times people view what I'm preaching as being radical that is sad it's sad to me that things have been dumbed down so far that when you simply preach the word like this it seems radical to people but God nonetheless does not change he has his apostles he has his prophets he has his evangelists he has his pastors and he has his teachers and they're scattered out there and that is his authority in the earth okay I'll just share something interesting you know the Bible paints this picture it's a beautiful picture but it shows that the father when you think of the father many times the Bible talks about the shining of God's countenance okay but whenever it talks about Jesus it says things like that God would make his arm bare and it's like the father reached down to the earth because the earth was full of fallen humanity and so God the father saw that and he made his arm bare and he reached down to the earth he extended his arm of salvation what's the arm Jesus and now through the church the hand of God is in the earth through the church the hand of God has to do with the apostle the prophet the evangelist pastor and teacher but it's networked together with the church to reach out to fallen humanity and to bring them unto the father so that leads me to true evangelism acts 8 4 therefore those who have been scattered went about preaching the word and Philip went down to the city in Samaria and began to proclaim Christ to them now remember Jesus had went to Samaria before that remember that and he met with the woman at the well and she went back and told the people I met somebody that told me all about my life I believe he's the Christ and so Jesus had already kind of prepared the soil there so after he ascended people began to scatter out and preach and Philip in the Bible was an evangelist it says Philip went to Samaria proclaiming Christ to them and the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what Philip said what what was what was it that got the people's attention it says right here as they heard and they saw the signs which he was performing for in the case of many who had unclean spirits they were coming out of them with shouts and with loud voices many who were paralyzed and lame were healed so that there was much rejoicing in the city so let's go ahead and just raise the bar what is true evangelism in the Bible what did Jesus do Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God has come upon you what did he do he prayed for the sick and they were healed he cast out demons what do we read about that Peter and others did the same thing Paul they would go into the city 
they would preach they would pray for the sick they would cast out demons what was Philip doing he went to Samaria he wasn't dependent on how great his personality was or how handsome he was or how fancy the smoke and the lights could be and all these different things that people do Philip went down there preaching the truth he preached Christ and he prayed for the sick and he cast out demons and the whole city was affected even Simon who was a sorcerer gave his life to Christ Peter and John came down to support the work and they prayed for the people that they be baptized in the Holy Spirit so anyway this was true evangelism and I think many times people have said well you know, those that travel they have itinerant ministries they go from church to church ministering and they say well they're an evangelist well sometimes but sometimes you don't ever hear of anybody getting saved they're just going from church to church so I'm just gonna put this out there you're not an evangelist unless you're winning souls that's just the way it is that is if you're an evangelist that is your number one job is soul winning not going from Christian to Christian and preaching so a lot of times people that go from church to church have an itinerant ministry are not necessarily evangelists like I know brother Benny he's a prophetic you know there's different people have different gifts going from church to church but signs and wonders accompany the gospel and so I believe that God is really about to open something up at River of Life because if we'll take a stand with his word he'll back up his word and that's why I'm preaching like this because I don't want to get to where we're, we've got this deception and this mixture and this Americanized Christianity things that have been accepted in Americanized Christianity many times are far from being the way it needs to be so we've got to go back to the word and look at and so I believe that God is going to start opening some things up on the streets like we've never seen before we have seen in the past where people have been healed on the streets we've seen people delivered from the demonic and we've seen people baptized in the Holy Spirit and that should be normal but I believe that the Lord wants to really increase that in the days to come but our job as a church is that we are a spiritual entity there's a fivefold ministry over the church but we're a spiritual kingdom fighting spiritual battles for the souls of men and it's because of our prayers that people are going to get saved but it's also because of our prayers that have to do with things like the elections where where people were elected that are favorable toward the church that is a response of our prayers so our prayers affect governments and affect kingdoms of this world but we are a spiritual kingdom fighting spiritual battles I feel that's what the Lord wants to emphasize tonight and so many times in churches there's too much of this voting and election and popularity contest instead of getting on our face and praying and seeing what God says and let me say this while we're going going ahead and just uh, being controversial and don't really carry the way let's just go ahead and put this out there but the truth is that just because and this is gonna ruffle some feathers but just because there's a sign on the door that says welcome to first such-and-such such church does not necessarily mean that God calls that place a church 
Let me explain what I mean. We are a spiritual kingdom, but everything has to be birthed by God Almighty, not man, not politics. Just because somebody goes and says, hey, I've got a good idea. We're going to start a church here. It does not mean that the Lord told them to do that. In, G, in, the, in Matthew 18, it talked about church discipline, but it said this phrase. It said that where two or three gather in my name, I'm in the midst. But this is important because now you've got some emergent church people that want to call it church that are just sitting around at Starbucks, you know, with a cup of coffee, a couple of people talking, they want to call that church. That's not what that says. What that's saying in the Greek is this where two or three are drawn together i'm in their midst see it's the holy spirit drawing us together when the church was birthed it was on the day of pentecost birthed by the spirit of god y'all follow me and every advancement that has happened through church history in the last two thousand years every significant advancement that's taken place has been by a major move of the Holy Spirit so the church is under the leadership of the Spirit of God and it has to be birthed by the Spirit of God it's not something that can be conceived by man is this making sense so Jesus when he was walking in, in Revelation 2 and 3 there was the seven churches of Asia and Jesus was walking among the lampstands and there were seven of them there and so the church is described as a lampstand and then he describes also a church that he said if they lost their first love that he would remove their lampstand. Do you know what that is? That's their status as a church. And I wonder how many places out there that it may have a sign on the door and it may look good on the outside, but all it is is a social club and it's just something birth of man and it's a gathering of men. It's not really a lampstand that Jesus walks among. How many still love the Word of God? So this has been a fight from the beginning. You know, whenever Martin Luther in 1517, a German monk split off Roman Catholicism and started the Protestant movement, it has been, it has been a fight. But God, through major moves of the Holy Spirit, has been restoring back. In the book of Acts, Peter said about Jesus, heaven must receive him until everything's restored so we know that God is going to restore everything back to the church before Jesus comes but it's how's it going to happen by the move of the Spirit of God and it's going to be among people that love the truth there's a really interesting scripture I believe, I believe it's in Matthew but it says that there was this woman it's really an obscure scripture that a lot of people never paid much attention to but it said there was a woman and she had three batches of dough and she put leaven in all three and worked that leaven in and if you look at Christianity since about 300 AD it seems like it's been split if you will into three major categories I don't believe Roman Catholicism is true Christianity, but nonetheless, one branch of those that profess Christianity would be Roman Catholicism. The other one would be the Eastern Orthodox Church, like in Russia. You've seen those. 
And then the third would be the Protestant, which that's what we're a part of. But it's interesting that this was prophetic in Jesus' teaching that there would be these three batches of dough, but leaven was in all of them. And so we've got to be willing to get all this leaven out of us. Many people got, you know, they accepted Christ as their Savior and they started going somewhere. But there was so much pet doctrines and, and traditions of men and things that were part of that fellowship that were taught to them that it was that leaven that worked in them that now they can't even read the word without that leaven blinding them. You know, there was a man one time that said he was driving down the road and he saw these flowers and he talked to his wife about how they were such a beautiful off-white like a, a almost like a, a yellowish tint or something she said no they're white and he's like no they're not and they were back and forth for a while and they were kind of laughing about it and she finally said well take off your sunglasses and he did and he's like they're white you're right but see so many people have had so much leaven put in them through the group they were in that as they read the Bible, it goes through some kind of a filter where they're blinded to a lot of things and they only see what they've been taught, which has a lot of error many times. Many people have been taught against tongues, taught against the gifts, taught against healing. You got to let the Lord get all that back out of you. He can do it. All right, so let me say one more thing and then we're, I just got a couple more things to share on here, but let me rabbit trail just for a moment. So the fivefold ministry, the apostolic, for those that are curious, the apostolic is um, very much pioneering. The apostolic will have a heart to start something new and fresh. Not necessarily past or something that exists, but birthing something. The apostolic also is very fathering that what they have with God can be reproduced in other people. You see what I'm saying? Like their spiritual DNA passes. Um, the apostolic will have kingdom authority many times to open, open things up. The prophetic, the office of a prophet, there are many people that will prophesy in churches. It's powerful. But the office of a prophet will be somebody that operates at a very high level of revelation. They'll be given to things from the Lord as dreams and visions, and they'll get clear prophetic insight. Many times you'll read in the Bible about a seer, S-E-E-R. It seems like that somebody that's a seer is more visionary, whereas maybe they're both a prophet, okay? But a prophet will hear more, get more revelation from hearing. But nonetheless, they're both a seer and a prophet are basically the same office. And this is somebody that's going to get a lot of revelation from the Lord. And they're very important to the body. And the Bible indicates in Ephesians 4 that we need the influence of the fivefold ministry in our churches to bring us to full maturity and perfect, perfect unity of the faith, okay? And, um, and then you have a pastor. The pastor, in the Greek, it's a shepherd. And it's somebody, there's a rod, there's a staff, and it's meant to protect the sheep. 
And a true pastor will not put up with stuff that shouldn't be put up with. Amen? If there's wolves that come in, they'll run them off. Okay? That's a true pastor. Now, if it's a hireling, then they'll let anything go on and they'll be a people pleaser and they're just worried about getting their paycheck and everybody being happy. Well, anyway. So that's a pastor. And then you have an evangelist. As I mentioned earlier, an evangelist is a soul winner. There's a special anointing and a grace on them to win souls. You know, other people can go out there and talk to people, and then somebody that has a strong evangelistic gifting can walk up there and start talking to them, and it just, the atmosphere will shift. There is an anointing on them for soul winning. It is a powerful thing. So, anyway, that's the evangelist. And then you have teachers. Teachers love the Word, and they really will break down the word of God. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. They'll really study it. There's a depth. And then they'll bring that to the body. But see, you need the influence of the apostolic to help break things open because you're dealing with principalities and powers. You're dealing with something trying to lock up the heavens and lock things up. And it takes apostolic to help open that up. You need the prophetic because they're going to bring revelation. And so I love, you know, for example, I've mentioned Brother Benny, but he's, he's a very prophetic man. And the last time he came, we were able to get a recording as he was sharing a lot of things, but it was really good. And all the things that he shared, I'm already seeing them. And we're, we're only in, uh, what, May? I've lost track. Anyway, we're in April, whatever. I'm so focused on Pentecost coming up. I'm telling you, I'm just ready. But anyway, here we are in April. I'm already seeing a lot of the things he said are already starting to happen but see the prophetic will bring in a revelation and we need the evangelists to get out there and win the souls and you need the pastors and the teachers to help build up the body but what's the emphasis jesus put on though his house will be what a house of prayer you see a praying church is a powerful church a praying christian is a powerful christian but the church that does not pray will have little power and little defense against spiritual warfare. Have y'all ever been somewhere that was dead and dry? We all have. But you're not going to find dead and dry with a group of praying people. A group of praying people, God moves. Souls are getting witnessed to and saved. People are being healed. People are being delivered. The presence of God is there. But see, all that is birth in prayer. That's why Jesus put the emphasis on make his house a house of prayer. All right, so let me give the last couple things. So wrong relationships. James 4.4. 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't want to be God's enemy. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And people always view that as just being in marriage. Okay, that's, that applies in a lot of different realms other than just marriage alone. Okay, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light and darkness? And then 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. So, about worldliness. 
I've seen kind of a trend over the last 10, 15 years or so of really bringing in a lot of worldliness into the church. And it concerns me because there's so many people that have gotten saved over the last 10 years that that's all they've ever known. So they don't really know any different than all this worldliness that's come in. And um, you'll see a lot of things. My wife and I have been around a lot of things where, um, you know, church folk, church leaders, and everybody, that there's, um, you know, alcohol, there's um, profanity, um, people dress seductively. You know, it's just, you know, anyway. And the thing is, there was a time, I personally know people, that there was a time years ago that they would have had a problem with the worldliness and they would have spoke against it, that some of them now will actually defend it. And many times in a lot of places, unfortunately, there's motivational speeches and a lot of entertainment. That's what I've noticed the most, is motivational speeches and entertainment. But there's still some, some remnant out there. There's still good preachers and good churches out there. They're sprinkled out there. They love the Lord and are going after God. Amen? But you just see a lot of other things too. And so this, this mixture coming into the church... Now let me ask this question because many people have, have heard this. Did Jesus hang out with sinners? Everybody's heard that. Okay. Well, let me show you something because everybody, has everybody heard that? It's kind of a trick question. You're going to be surprised once we go through this. What friends are we to hang around? All right. So we read the story about Jesus or the stories through the Gospels about his life. And Jesus was the type that he would go to somebody's house and witness. I mean, he was definitely that way. But who did Jesus hang around all the time? His disciples. Were they a bunch of sinners? Were they sitting around smoking cigars in the pub? Taking shots? So Jesus would go somewhere. You know, he... For example, let's look at the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed the tree. You remember he's a short man and he was a tax collector. And Jesus said, to this, this day I'm supposed to go eat with Zacchaeus. Well, that gave a lot of ammunition to his enemies. Because now they're saying, well, this so-called holy man, you know, eats with tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and eats a meal. What's the result of that? Zacchaeus gets saved basically and he repents he starts giving all the money he stole back to people he repents and so the kingdom of God came to Zacchaeus's house and I've always been somebody that is very big on getting out to the lost and being a witness but I've also seen where people that profess Christianity have got to hanging around the wrong people and it destroyed their life. I could tell names and stories and probably about 12 off the top of my head of people, some of which don't even believe in Jesus anymore. So Jesus, that, that phrase of, well, Jesus hung around sinners isn't very accurate, really. He hung around his disciples. 
But Jesus did go to where the lost were to see them saved. And in the same way, we've always been this way. We've always been the type to go out to where the lost are and witness to them. But I've also always told my people, um, you know, you're not to be hanging around a bunch of heathen as your best friends. Some have not listened, and they're far from God today. All right. And then also about marriage. Is that, let's go ahead and just go for it tonight. You know, we're talking about mixture. You better make sure that you hear from God and you marry somebody that's of like precious faith. Because I've seen some disastrous marriages that people tried to marry somebody that wasn't saved or somebody that believed totally different than them. It was a horrible thing. And you need to be very careful if you're somebody that's a spirit-filled person marrying somebody that does not like the spirit-filled, doesn't like tongues, because it can cause a lot of problems. And then the children, if both are going to go back and forth like that, what are the kids going to believe? They're going to be totally confused. So you need to be unified in your home. So pray and let God bring you the right person. There were some young people years ago used to come here and I understand that um, you know the, the, the fact of the matter is there isn't a lot of true on fire awesome Christians that are out there I understand that you kind of got to search find somebody like that but in their school there certainly wasn't very many but I remember telling them look guys I mean you, you anyway make a long story short they were hanging around people this is going to shock you, but they were hanging around people that um, I guess they said they worshiped the devil or something. I mean, they participate in satanic rituals. But anyway, I told them, I said, guys, why in the world would you hang around those people? Well, they're just friends that, you know, it doesn't affect me. Recently, well, I say recently, a year or two ago, one of the last one in that group came out saying he no longer believes in Jesus. So bad company corrupts good character. You know, the fact of the matter is, when Jesus went to the cross, you know, Jesus had always had the multitudes around him that flocked to him because of the miracles. But when it came his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was only Peter, James, and John, but everybody fled. Remember this? Jesus went to that cross almost completely alone. The only person John was able to go in there for some reason, he's probably Levitical, he was able to be in there while he was going through the trial. But it was what, John and Mary, Mary Magdalene, a few people that were there while he was dying on the cross. My point is, is that maybe some of the suffering that Christians go through would be that, you know, there may not be a whole lot of on-fire Christian friends sometimes. Okay, but you still need to make sure you're hanging around the right people and not let them drag you down. All right, but that does not mean we don't witness to people. We go to where they are, we witness to them, but heathen are not supposed to be our best buddies. We're texting all the time, hanging out with them. That didn't how it works. If you're a true Christian, you're not going to fit in with them anyway. And they're not going to want you around because you're going to be talking about Jesus. All right. Let me close with this. Man, that was a good one back there. That was, 
I have a feeling she's going to be a singer. All right. Anyway, I'm going to share just a couple quick things, and we're going to pray. Would you all get something out of tonight? Look, I, I figure let's just go for it. You know, you guys, I got a group of people that love the truth, love the word. And I know that a lot of this is controversial, and I know that it's just going to blow up out there. But let's just go for it. Let's just preach it and get it out there, okay? But it's still the truth. Whether people love it or hate it, it's still the truth. All right, so here's a couple things um, regarding the end time scenario. And I close with this, and then we're going to pray. But I feel this has to do with the altar time. Ahab's capital seemed to have been around Megiddo, which is later known as Armageddon. You remember the story of Jezebel and Ahab? It's interesting that Jezebel was mentioned in Revelation 2.20 as manifesting in the church. So in the latter days, there would be a Jezebel manifestation trying to come into churches. You're going to have to really take a stand against this because it tries to creep in. And also seen in Revelation 17 as the whore of Babylon rising to world dominance under a false prophet and reigning supreme over the false church. As y'all know, there's going to be a false church. So there's going to be a unified... Let me paint a quick picture. I'm, I need to close with this. This really isn't in my sermon per, for this sermon, but this is just extra, okay? So you just get this for free tonight. But anyway, so there's going to be this false prophet that emerges that there's also going to be a false church. And you already see this false church today. You see a lot of people out there that they'll say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. But they're, they're pro-abortion, pro-sexual perversions. They're very ecumenical. They want to worship with Buddhists and Muslims. You follow me? A false church, many ways to God. The Bible is not the only infallible thing. They don't even believe necessarily the Bible. So I'm just saying that there's this false church that professes Christianity, but it's, it's not Christianity at all. So there's going to be a false prophet. There's going to be a false church. And Jezebel is going to reign supreme over that church. And that's the horror of Babylon, okay? All right. And so as the false prophet comes and emerges, he's going to make a way for the Antichrist to emerge. The, fal the false prophet is a spiritual figure. The Antichrist will be more of a political figure, even though both of them will be involved in both realms to some degree. But the Antichrist will come to power and the world's governments will begin to unify under him. He will have to conquer three of them and force it. But nonetheless, he's going to bring the world under his dominion. So the false prophet will help make the way for the rise of the Antichrist. So here's three areas of, for us to have supernatural endurance. How many knows the Bible says we're living right now in perilous times? The word perilous in the Greek implies fierce, like a fierce animal. All right, so there's three things. Number one is the rhema or the prophetic word of the Lord. We need people that are going to be telling the truth and preaching the truth. We need the truth. We need the word, and we need the truth. We don't need motivational speeches. We need the word. And so the word is going to be a great source of strength to us in these latter days. Number two, the communion table. The Bible shows us that David's mighty men had grown weary in battle, and they ate the consecrated bread for strength. The Bible says that 
God will give us a table in the presence of our enemies. I believe that the communion table will be a source of great supernatural strength for us in these latter days. Then number three, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And what grieves me is many times you have people that are really word-oriented and they love the word. I mean, they really do. You can tell that they love the word, but they can't stand the move of the Holy Spirit. They speak against it. They cannot stand it. And then you have some groups on the far other extreme that they love the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but they really don't care much about really getting into the word and maturing and growing up in the word. And they tend to get flaky. But I'll tell you what, if you have a group of people that will love both the word of God and love the move of the spirit, you'll have a balanced, mature group of people. It's interesting to me that Jeremiah was rebu rebuked by the Lord. So Jeremiah's irritated. I've been reading back over the book of Jeremiah. He's a weeping prophet. He, but you know, he was seeing so much happen. And Jeremiah at times was, was kind of complaining to the Lord. Are you just going to let your, your people be destroyed? You know? And the Lord at times would kind of rebuke Jeremiah. In one case, he said to him, you need to change your attitude about it. But in this case, the Lord told him, said, Jeremiah, if you cannot keep up with men on foot, how are you going to run with horses? He said, if you can't even run in an open field, how are you going to run in the forest, in the thicket? And so Jeremiah was realizing that God was having to bring him to a new level. The book of Hebrews states that we're to run this race casting off everything that entangles our legs so i said all that to say this jeremiah had to run with horses but he couldn't keep up with men the book of hebrews says that we're to run the race and shake off all these things entangling our legs it's going to be by the power of the holy spirit let me show you so elijah the prophet tells ahab he says, you better go back to Jezreel because I hear the sound of rain. It had been a famine for, what, three years? Am I right? I'm trying to remember the story. It had been a famine for around three years. <coughs> well, Ahab knew enough to know he better listen to, to uh, Elijah. So he mounts his, his chariot with horses pulling this thing, and he's taken off. Did you know the Bible says that Elijah girded up his loins and ran to Jezreel, which was 20 miles, and outran Ahab's chariot. So Ahab gets there, and there's Elijah. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that the Holy Spirit, because the Bible said about Elijah, the Spirit of God came upon him, and then he took off like that. So the Spirit of God is going to come upon us as a last day church. To help us break off everything that's been trying to entangle our legs and be able to really run this race with strength and endurance. But we need the Word and we need the Holy Spirit. We need both. And so the Spirit of Elijah, and then we're going to pray, but the Spirit of Elijah, the Bible says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and the terrible day of the coming of the Lord in Malachi. The great day was when Jesus came the first time, 
the terrible day is when he comes the second time because when he comes the second time he's coming to rule and reign and destroy his enemies okay but both times it says that there would be the spirit of elijah or elijah would precede and so when jesus came the first time how did elijah come before jesus john the baptist remember and when he comes the second time we know that there's going to be two witnesses in jerusalem there's going to be elijah and moses i believe but right now the spirit of elijah is coming upon the bride and what is the spirit of elijah the spirit of elijah seems to be when the holy spirit comes in his fullness you remember in revelation it says the seven spirits of god there's not seven holy spirits but it's talking about perfection if you look at the menorah which we have one over there you see the seven branches the middle branch will be the spirit of the lord but when the menorah when the holy spirit comes like a lampstand he comes as the spirit of the lord in the middle but he comes with wisdom revelation counsel might knowledge and the fear of the lord when he comes in his fullness like that he's coming as the spirit of elijah so what does the spirit of elijah come to do to prepare things to clean house for a great visitation of the lord and god has been moving with the spirit of elijah and river of life for some time and i believe that the lord is about to come in an awesome way in the days to come among us but you have to embrace the ministry of the holy spirit and let him convict you let him purify you when the spirit of elijah comes these jezebels will get stirred up and manifest they'll get driven out god will come in and convict he'll purge he'll deal with sin there was an older gentleman now listen i'm saying this in context that we need the glory okay but there was an older gentleman i, I heard talking about an encounter he had with the glory and I remember, let me say this, I remember at Brownsville, there was a man named Brad, who's a friend of mine, and there was one particular night at Brownsville that the glory came in as a tangible cloud into the sanctuary. And uh, Brad was there, and he was running sound, and he told me, he said, man, he said, everybody just hit the floor, was on their face before God humbling themselves. But this man that I was talking about, he said that he was in a meeting and people were worshiping and they were singing a song about the glory coming and we need the glory okay let me emphasize that we need the glory the bible says that uh, the glory would arise and shine upon us and we need his presence but in this case this older man was there to preach and he looked up and he was worshiping and he saw what looked like a gold cloud it was like a mixture of a cloud with gold and it was beginning to trickle down on him but then the holy spirit spoke to him and said you're here to preach you better go tell them to quit singing that and quit asking for my glory because there are several people in this camp that have unrepentant sin in their life and if this glory comes they will not live and so he got up and told them and um you know they weren't as responsive as you can just imagine how that would just imagine for a moment how that went okay and so they didn't really receive that thing and didn't really understand and so the lord told him you delivered your soul and so go home and so he just did but, but we need the glory but see when the glory comes god will deal with things but we need the glory 
And see, that's one of the reasons why I love that when we come together, we take a moment to take communion together because all of us are forgiving people, making sure we confess and repent of any sin. We come under the blood. We deal with stuff. And so none of us have to worry about the glory of God coming in like that because we've dealt with things. See what I mean? So I, I don't want people to be afraid of the glory, but I want you to take the glory seriously. It's not a joke. So when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, also God is going to be releasing a purifying fire and a cleansing river in these latter days to get us ready to be a bride that is pure and ready for the coming of the Lord. So I felt tonight that God laid that on my heart to share because I want to pray with people tonight. We need the spirit of Elijah. We need that fire to begin to work in our lives and burn out all the old pollution the clean house and deal with things that need to be dealt with so God can take us deeper in his glory. See, in the deep places of the glory, there's going to be a major increase of healings and things like that, okay?